God, as we're singing about your love this morning and being reminded of your love and just trying to place ourselves and our hearts in the place of your love and in the space of your love, we're so grateful for you. And um, we also realize that we, we want to grow to love better. So as we, um, as we look at your word now, as we think about our relationships with our spouses, our families, our kids, as we think about our parents, the way they parented us, um, I pray that you would grow our love and also for the places that we fall short and we've been hurt, I pray that your love would step in and be enough for us this morning. Amen. Well, good morning, Regen. Good to be together on this sunny February day. If we have not met, I am Dick Wiedenheft, and um, I get to be the lead pastor here at Regen with a great team of other leaders. And uh, we are continuing in our parenting series this morning. And uh, there's an old story that's told about Queen Victoria about one time when she and her husband, Prince Albert, early in their marriage had a fight and Albert walked out of the room they were in. He went to his room in their private quarters and the queen followed. She found his door locked and she started pounding on it. Who's there? Albert asked. The queen of England, she barked. <laughs> he refused to unlock the door. She continued pounding. But then after a while, the pounding stopped. There was a pause and then the sound of gentle knocking. Who's there? Albert asked again. The queen replied, your wife, Albert. And Prince Albert opened the door immediately. Right? <laughs> Today we're going to talk about authority. How authority works in Christ's kingdom for those of us who follow Jesus and, and how that authority relates to parenting. Because while the incident between Victoria and Albert was in their marriage, the question we face in parenting that relates is how do we get our children to open the door of their hearts to us? Well, for input and for direction from God's word on the topic of parenting, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, the first letter he wrote to the followers of Jesus in a Greek city called Corinth. But today I'm going to cheat just a little bit and look at something Paul wrote in the second letter he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 10. Uh, open up there if you have a Bible. I encourage you to do that or to pull it up on your phone if you can. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10. Here's what Paul has to say. He's wrapping up his second letter. And he says, This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Did you hear that? Paul acknowledges that as a Christian leader, God has given him authority, but then he quickly adds, the authority the Lord has given me is authority for building you up, not for tearing you down. And I'll tell you, I have done a 
study of, of the, the topic and the word authority in the New Testament. And what I found is that's the only kind of authority anyone in Jesus' kingdom is given in relation to other people. Authority to build people up spiritually. The late theologian Stanley Grantz put it this way. He said, power, according to scripture, is to be used by those who possess it for the benefit of those who do not. The only authority the New Testament recognizes is the authority to build people up, to encourage, to teach, to warn, and to correct, but to build people up. And as we'll soon see, we who have authority, if we're doing something else with it, we are stepping outside the rightful use of that authority. That's true for church leaders. It's true in marriage. It's true in parenting. So let me ask you, what are some other ways and some other reasons that those in authority might be tempted to use their authority? Well, here's an obvious one. To get what we want and to have it our way. How many times have you been talking to someone about the problems in the world or in, in our country or in your workplace or in your church and you said, if I was in charge, <laughs> right? If I were in charge, we wouldn't sing this kind of music in church. If I were in charge, that policy at work would be different. If I was in charge of this country, I would change that law or I would make everything, everyone do things differently. It's also tempting to use authority to get what we want and to make things our way to make all the stupid people do things the right way, right? Our way. <laughs> and maybe we think we're doing it for everyone's good, but here's the reality. Power corrupts, right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Too often, when you're in power, you start to lose perspective over time on the difference between what is really for the good of others and what you're telling yourself is for their good, but is really just the way you want things. In a little bit, we'll apply that to parenting, but first, here's a second way we might be tempted to use our authority. To make others behave. To make others do things the way we think they should do them. In church, maybe to get them to give more money or to get them to volunteer for all the programs or to get them to show up for the services or to get them to stop doing the big obvious sins that make us feel kind of awkward and uncomfortable. And we as Christian leaders, we have all sorts of really holy reasons that people should do these things. But if you dig deep enough, often it's really because if we had a bigger budget or bigger attendance or more programs or nice clean cut church people, we church leaders would feel really good. Right? That's the temptation. We could brag about how well our church is doing and it feeds our ego. Also, whether I'm a, a supervisor at work or I'm a church leader or I'm an educator or I'm a parent, if all those under me would behave and comply and do what I think they should do, my job would be a lot easier, right? 
And that would make me feel good and it would make me look good and I could feel secure as a leader. I wouldn't have to deal with all my yucky feelings of insecurity and inadequacy as a leader if everyone is behaving and towing the line. And so I might be tempted to use my authority to make people behave whether they want to or not, but it's really for my benefit more than it is for theirs. Have any of you been in a workplace or, or a church where, where this was the, the leader's motivation? And you could kind of tell it, right? Third, as a leader, I may be tempted to use my authority to ensure my own success. As you can see, these are all interrelated. Maybe as a leader, I need very much to feel successful. Maybe my dad told me I was a bum and I would never amount to much. Or maybe my parents never seemed to notice me. And deep inside, I think if I can just be a success, I'll prove to them that I'm someone. Or maybe I think if I'm a success, I'll, I'll have a bigger salary, I'll have more job security, I'll have more respect from my colleagues. And so I use my authority to ensure my success. And again, as a pastor, I could wrap all of this in holy language about how I'm building God's kingdom and I'm doing his work. So yeah, I want to be a success. Or if I'm in business, it, it's, it's what's good for the company or, or the stockholders expected, and maybe they do. But the bottom line is, I'm using my authority to make myself successful. That's my real underlying motivation. Fourth temptation. I may be tempted to use my authority to keep others in their place so they don't mess with or interfere with my ego, my agenda, my plans. Again, this is interrelated with the others. For a leader, it's really tempting to use our authority to keep others in their place, to stifle dissent, to keep other agendas off the table because of our ego, our ambitions, our insecurities, our whatever. For any of these reasons and others, I may be tempted to use my authority to keep others at bay who threaten me. And so for all of these reasons and other ones as well, power corrupts. And that's why Jesus, whom we follow, refused to use authority in these ways and chose instead the way of a servant and the way of the cross. And he told us as his followers that we must do the same. The Apostle Paul had learned this well, and so he understands that in Jesus' kingdom, there's only one proper use of authority in relation to other people, and that's to build other people up to benefit others, to encourage and challenge others to grow spiritually and to mature in their faith. At Regen, for me, as, as a pastor here, for our staff, for our oversight team, that's the only real authority we have. Authority to build you up spiritually. So what does that have to do with parenting? Everything. Because as parents, God has given us authority over our children. It's right in the Ten Commandments. God tells us, honor your father and mother. And among other things for children, this means obey your father and mother and respect their authority. So the Bible gives us as parents authority 
Why? So we can build our children up. Not just so we can have an easier life, although if our children behave, we will. Not so our children will be seen and not heard. Not primarily so they don't make too much noise or make too much mess or won't embarrass us or make us feel like we're out of control. Although if they are growing and maturing, those things may happen as a byproduct. <laughs> no, we have authority as parents for one reason, to build our children up so they mature, so they grow to be healthy and whole human beings who love God and other people and follow Jesus. Because children are immature. <laughs> They don't have experience yet. They don't have wisdom. They're selfish little buggers, aren't they? <laughs> so God knows someone more mature than them needs to be in charge. Their parents need to be in charge. Hopefully we're more mature, right? Sometimes when, when Ann and I are like, you know, just to hear, we remind each other, remember, we have to be the mature ones. <laughs> So parents need to be in charge, but our job isn't to use our authority for our own agenda or purposes. No, we're to use our authority for our kids' benefit to help them grow up. How do we do this? Well, to do this well, there are two very tempting parenting styles that we have to avoid. There, there are two ditches on either side of the road of a healthy use of authority that we have to stay out of. That's why I've titled this sermon, Balance in Parenting. So here's the first ditch. It's called authoritarian parenting. This is controlling, dominating parenting. It's authority without relationship. Where children are expected to obey unquestioningly because I said so. And uh, as I was thinking about this, there's another version of this that you could call manipulative parenting. When I was a kid, this, this is an extreme example of, a, of authoritarian parenting. We had a family friend, or sorry, a, a, we had family friends, friends of our family, and the dad in this other family parented in an authoritarian way. He was a big guy. He had been a bodybuilder. He was a very domineering personality. And so he'd say things with his deep commanding voice, things like, at the snap of my fingers, everyone will close their mouths and give me their attention. And we're like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, he was like a drill sergeant. Without much nurture, without much relationship with our kids, he was in charge, he was the boss, and people better do what he said. This is not the kind of authority the Bible gives parents or any Christian leader. And, and adjacent to it, it again, neither, neither is um, manipulative parenting where parents use their greater knowledge um, or, or the power they have to manipulate their kids to get their kids to do what they want. Well, the other ditch, the, the opposite extreme in parenting is permissive parenting, laissez-faire parenting, it's sometimes called. This is where, as a parent, we, we want to be friends with our kids. We want to respect them and not stifle them so much so that we abdicate our authority as parents. And so this kind of parenting is all relationship 
without any authority. We let our kids do what they want. We don't set boundaries or guidelines. We don't have expectations. We don't enforce expectations. So we wind up finding ourselves pleading with our kids. Oh, Paige, don't do that. Paige, that's not nice. Please stop, Paige. But little Paige just ignores us because Paige knows we never back it up with any consequences, so Paige can do whatever she wants. That's parenting with no authority. So those are two extremes. And by the way, I, I learned about these terms in my teacher training, Educational Psychology 101. But the third type of parenting, the healthy kind, is what psychologists call authoritative parenting. And this has both authority and relationship. We parents have authority and we also value and nurture the relationship with our kids and we know our kids well because we built a relationship with them. And so the authority we have, we're able to use to build our kids up for their own good. So practically speaking, how do we balance relationship and authority. For those of us who are parents, how do we both embrace the authority God has given us as parents and also limit and channel its use into trying to build our kids up in the right ways? Well, let me offer some suggestions. You won't find any of these clearly, or sorry, you won't find all of these clearly laid out in scripture, but there's some practical ways that, that I've found that um, to have authority as a parent, but to exercise it relationally, as scripture says, to hopefully build our kids up. So the first one is a reminder of what we saw last Sunday, and that is that we need to connect before we expect. We need to connect with our kids before we lay on them what we're expecting or we correct them or whatever. We need to keep strengthening our relationship with our kids. I don't know about you, but as a parent over the years, too often I have found myself fussing at my kids from across the room. Instead of calmly drawing close to my kids, looking them in the face, and softly and sometimes firmly telling them what I need them to do or to stop doing. So I'm trying to learn to connect before I expect. Second, and related to this, try not to discipline when we're angry. I learned this from my parents. They were really good at it, but what I didn't realize was how hard it is to do. <laughs> it's so tempting when we're angry to tell our kids off, to put them in their place, to mete out punishments. It feels good and they deserve it. But when we're angry, often we're not using our authority for the good of our kids. We might tell ourselves we are, but we're really using it to vent, <laughs> to pay back, to get even. And so we might over-discipline. And while our kids might comply out of fear, we're not reaching their hearts at all. And when we're not around, they're going to do what they want. Um, so it's better when we can, and we can't always do this, but it's better when we can to take the time we need, sometimes maybe we need to send them to their room for a little bit, to collect ourselves, to calm down, to think and pray it over a little bit, and then to figure out how can I best address this with my kids. Third suggestion, when you're arguing with your kids, don't play the God card. 
Don't quote scripture at your kids when you're in the middle of a fight with them. Or for that matter, in any conflict or in marriage or whatever, that's not the right time to marshal God on your side so you win the argument. I have seen spouses do this. In fact, when Ann and I first got married, I did this. And thankfully, she called me on it. <laughs> um, I've seen parents do this too. They're arguing, and to win the argument, they come up with a Bible verse or a holy rationale as to why they're right and the other person is wrong. And it's like laying down the ultimate trump card to win the round. It's getting God to be the heavy, getting God on your side so we can win, so we can make the other person lose. That's not what God is for. That's not what God's word is for. And that's not what authority is for. Authority is not to win. Authority is to build others up. And if you take that authority, you take God's authority and you use it to win the argument, guess what? People will resent it. And they may start to resent your God and your religion. Because it feels to them like God is there to make them feel small and powerless. Like God is just a club that you're using to whack them with. There's a place for scripture, obviously. And yes, in a Christian family, we want God to be a part of everything we do. But the middle of an argument is not the time or place to try to use God's word to enforce your authority. Fourth suggestion. Set clear boundaries and expectations for your kids. And when they're old enough um, to understand the reasons, give them the reasons. When kids are little, it might be as simple as, don't touch the stove, it's hot, it will hurt your hand, ouch, right? Or no more hot dogs, you will get a tummy ache if you eat one more. <laughs> To give you an example from as our kids got older, um, we, we've had a rule in the house, no screen time after 10 p.m. And we have given our older kids clear reasons because screen glare makes it harder to fall asleep. So we don't just say, put that device away because I said so. No, we talk to them about the research, about how blue light of screens affects our sleep, affects our brain. And, and so we need to turn off that screen an hour before bedtime. Now here's the, the next thing, fifth. Set a logical consequence to go with the boundary. For example, when our kids got old enough to use rollerblades and skateboards, we had a rule, you have to wear your helmet. And a logical consequence, if they didn't, would be we're taking away the blades or we're taking away the board for a few days because you're not using it safely. As opposed to giving them a timeout, no dessert tonight, some other consequence that has nothing to do with what they did wrong. Now I realize it's not always easy, especially when kids are young, to come up with a consequence that's logical. Sometimes we, we can't think of one. Um, it's sometimes hard to connect the behavior that we're trying to work on that they're doing wrong with, with what, a, what a logical consequence would be. But if it, we at least try as much as we can, then our kids feel more respected and they'll respect our discipline more. Also, sometimes with older kids, we can ask our kids what they think an appropriate consequence would be. 
So for instance, back to our screen time example, you were not supposed to be on your phone after 10 p.m., but you sneaked your phone and you were watching YouTube videos in bed. Not that that ever happened in our house. <laughs> what do you think an appropriate consequence would be? If they own that what they did was wrong, they may own the consequence if they see it as logical. Now, sometimes they won't engage. They'll just suggest a non-consequence. I, I should just have my phone all the time, you know, something like that. It depends on, on your relationship with your kid. It depends on the mood that they're in. Um, but when, where possible, choose consequences that kids see as logical. Sixth suggestion, this one is key. Don't set a boundary or expectation that you're not willing or able to enforce and follow through on. This is a tough one. If you know anything about kids, you know they are going to test you. It's especially true if they don't know you well, like if you're the new teacher in school. But kids test parents too, especially about new things. And from time to time, they're just like, yeah, is mom or dad still going to follow through? Do they still mean it? They just, they just test and they retest. They want to know if we as parents are really going to follow through. So if you tell your kids, finish your vegetables or you're not having any dessert tonight, and then they won't eat their vegetables, and then dessert time comes and everyone else is enjoying a bowl of ice cream, and they're sitting there pouting or puppy dog eyed because they're the only one with nice, uh, no ice cream. If you know that you or your spouse is probably going to give in because you feel so bad for them, then don't set that expectation in the first place about the vegetables. Do you know why? Because whenever you set a boundary or an expectation, your kids are learning whether you mean it and whether they should listen. As our kids used to say, is it a have to? Is this just your preference? Is this just what you would like? Or is this a have to? <laughs> and if, if you don't follow through, kids are smart. They learn quickly what's a have to and what isn't. And what they learn is, if we're not following through, oh, they don't actually mean it. My mom or dad, they, they don't really mean it. It's optional. I, I can do what I want, really. What kids are looking for isn't the words we say or the threats we make. It's what our actions are, what we do, and what we actually follow through on. So if you know honestly you're not willing or able to follow through on a consequence or a threat, then don't make that threat. Don't set that boundary or that expectation. Seventh suggestion, finally, after you discipline, when the consequence is over, reaffirm your love for your kids. Reconnect with them if and when they're willing. When I was a kid, my parents spanked us. <clears throat> Whether spanking is, is still a good way to discipline is a big topic. We're not going to get into it right now. But that's how my parents disciplined. And when I was little, when I got spanked, there were tears. Sometimes there was wailing. But what my parents did, yeah, I still remember it vividly. <laughs> what my parents did that was beautiful was after it was all done, they'd sit me on their lap. They'd hug me. They'd comfort me. They'd let me know that they still loved me, that it was over, that I was forgiven. They restored the relationship. They reconnected with me so that we could move ahead positively together. 
Because the goal of healthy parenting is authoritative parenting. It's parenting with authority, yes, but also parenting that maintains a strong relationship. And if we can do that, then we will hopefully be using our authority to build our kids up so they mature, so they grow to become people of character and people who are more like Jesus. Now, here's the good news about all of this. We do not have to do it perfectly. None of us do. We've all had our bad parenting moments probably every day where we messed up, where we lost our temper, where we said things we shouldn't, where we handled things poorly. And so part of maintaining our relationship with our kids is that sometimes we have to admit we're wrong and apologize. Ann and I have had to apologize to our kids many times. Now, some parents are afraid to do this because they think somehow it takes away from our authority as parents. And if you're an authoritarian parent, maybe it does. If, if you expect unquestioning obedience to your every command at the snap of your fingers because you said so, don't argue with me, maybe apologizing or ever admitting you're wrong would ruin your facade. But that's not, as we've seen, the kind of authority that, that God gives us as parents anyway. God gives us authority to build up those under our authority, which requires a relationship. And, and having a strong relationship requires lots of apologizing and lots of forgiving, a strong relationship with anyone. Because we're all faulty, we're, we're all broken people, and in the case of us as parents, our kids know it. So we've got to mend relationships when we mess them up. And we can apologize and still be the one in authority. So as we close, if you're a parent, I invite you to close your eyes for a moment and to just hear this. God has given you a big responsibility to build up your kids so they grow and mature to be more like Jesus. And God has given you authority to carry out that task. Receive that authority and ask God to help you use it wisely, lovingly, firmly when necessary, in the context of a loving relationship to nurture and build up your kids. Amen.